Hello, this is Janet Gallen welcoming you to Love Letters Live. And today, Love Letters Live is really about romance. I want to introduce my guest, Michelle Musi, who has a podcast of her own called Love Capades. And how could I resist that? So Michelle is going to talk about romance with us. Michelle, why don't you start and maybe just by saying hello, if you like, and okay. then telling us why you decided to share your love capades with the world. Well, that's a great question. But it's, it's such a generous thing to do, you know? Well, and it's kind of a brave thing to do, actually, as it turns uh, that out. That too. Yeah, but before we start, I just want to say thank you to you, Jan. This is really a thrill. And I love your podcast. And I especially love the one that you had recently with Barbara Rose Brooker. Oh, on getting older? Yes, because I wanted to share with you and your listeners that I will turn 75 in January. And I was- you could, be my, you could be my little sister, but go ahead. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> we're, about the, we're the same kind of, yes. I know, and I just think it's so thrilling to acknowledge women of a certain age who are still creative and relevant. So thank you for that. Yes. So, all right, so let me what just- made, What made you decide to share? Well, what made me decide to write, I started writing my memoir, which is my romantic memoir on Valentine's Day, 2019. Mm -hmm. And it's something I had wanted to do for a long time. And the book poured out of me in four months. And the reason I, I chose to do it is that I wanted to examine my life from the prism of my experiences of love. And I've had a very unusual love history because even though I'm of an age where young girls were raised to, to get married and have a family, I didn't do that. I had a very- So, so let me start from far back then since you're willing to. Okay. When did you first, well, what were you taught? What were you taught that you should be as a woman of the 40s and 50s? And that's a, a fabulous question. So I had a very uh, dynamic and interesting father who raised me. I was the oldest of two. I had a younger brother. He raised me to be um, a woman of independence, a woman to have a career. Now, this was way before women's liberation. But did that include sexual independence, looking down the line? No, he didn't deal with that part of okay. it. But but he wanted me to have a career and he never gave me the imprint to marry and have a family, which is wow. what everybody else was learning to do. So I didn't go that route for a variety of reasons. And that was one of the strong reasons. Mm -hmm. So instead of marrying, when all my friends were marrying and having children, I was having adventures. And many of them were love adventures of all different varieties. I mean, some of them were happy, some of them were sad, some of them were romantic, some of them were terrifying, actually. How, how old were you when you first felt that you had this romantic inclination? Well, that's a, a good question, because... I'm such a busybody, but I do like to know these things. <laughs> well, this is kind of revealing, actually. So when I was 14, and I actually it was 13, when I was a freshman in high school, and there was a, a sophomore named Bobby, who absolutely had a thing for me. He was obsessed with me. 
And so he pursued me in every which way you could. And it made me nervous at first, but finally- I can ask you about that. Was that a welcome thing or a- At the time I was too young to appreciate it, but he was so charming and so persistent that I succumbed to his charms. And he, uh, of course, being a young adolescent guy, um, wanted to have sex. And in that era, it was just verboten. Young, proper women just, I'm sorry, you just didn't have sex. But he was too persuasive, Janet. Really? So, so at 14, I lost my virginity. And we- I mean, you in a way. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's so unusual. So unusual. That's why I'm telling you, I have I had a very unusual love history. So that's one of the reasons I wrote, wrote the book and did the podcast. So Bobby and I dated all through high school. And oh, oh, you know, I shouldn't I shouldn't be so quick to say good for you because I don't want to encourage young girls to do that because you really have to be, and maybe you can talk about this, you have to be mature in a certain way to know what to do with a physical intimate relationship, would you say? Absolutely. And I did not know what to do. I was so sh- full of shame and guilt. Oh. And I could not share it with anybody. I was just too embarrassed. I couldn't share it with my parents, my mother was a prude. So I wasn't sharing it with her. My best, I didn't even tell my best friend until I was a senior in high school. And that experience really did affect me for a long time afterwards. And it wasn't until a certain gentleman I met in Italy that I was able to conquer that shame and guilt. And how many years later was this experience in Italy? Well, I, um, I went to Stanford and they had a campus in Florence that I went to. Uh, I was, you know, 19 at the time. And so my first Italian romance was with a young boy named Roberto. So there'd been nobody between Bobby and Roberto then? Not really. You know, I went through, I went through college and I, I had crushes on people, but I didn't have relationships. Okay. Until, Until my junior year when I met this Italian boy. And he used to take me on his Vespa up to Fiesole and serenade me in the moonlight. I mean, it was so romantic, but we did not engage in carnal activities uh, until I graduated from Stanford and went back to Italy with a friend and was there for six months. And while in Florence, I met one of the true love capades of my life. And his name was, is Nicola. And he was a tall, handsome, kind of Marcello Mastroianni looking fellow in an army uniform. And he was actually from Palermo, Sicily, but he was doing his army service in Florence. So he met me and again, he just had to have me, just had to have me. And I was very nervous about it because he was from Sicily. And my- What did that imply to you? Well, first of all, I had the, the Florentine snobby feeling that Sicilians were déclassé. Oh, okay. But my father had been a pilot in World War II and had harrowing experiences in Sicily. So I had that, that message all my life. Sicilians were scary. But this guy was so dreamy, Janet, and he wooed me in the perfect way. And we had this romance that I've never, ever gotten over. It was the most romantic experience of my life. And I was 22 
and I spent time with him in Sicily. And then he, because he was a young doctor, he was a surgeon and he wanted to come to California to become a doctor here. So once we spent time together and then I returned home, he wrote me all these love letters, which I still have. Of course you do. I still have them and they're tied in a ribbon with hearts on them. (laughs) I love hearts. Good. Yeah. You apparently have a very big one yourself. Well, hopefully. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, and just to fast forward a bit. So 50 years after that exciting romance, I actually found him again. Now, you had not been in touch with him then once you left Italy, you kind of said goodbye to that? Well, he did not fulfill his promise to come to California. So we lost touch. And I did go back to to Italy at a certain point and tried desperately to find him, but he had disappeared into the vapor. I, I kind of assumed that his, you know, when we were dating, he had a former girlfriend who used to follow us around in her 500 Fiat like a shadow. And again, there is a sense of danger in Sicily. You know, it's the mafia and they're in the background. So this young, whatever, her name is Marika, used to follow us everywhere. So when I went back two years later and could not find him, I assumed he'd married her and that she was intercepting all my letters. Uh huh. Lots of intrigue. Really? But in 2008, I returned yet again. I've been to Italy many times, uh, yet again with a very dear friend of mine from Sydney, Australia. Her name is Trish the Dish, and I'm nicknamed, <laughs> I'm nicknamed Mish the Dish. Yes. So we were in Piemonte, and we checked into this beautiful hotel, and I had this inspiration, this light bulb went off, which was, I wonder if we can find him now. So I asked the receptionist, whose name was Valentina, to Google him, and she found him, wow. his phone number. And so after three or four days- Excuse me, were you sitting side by side with her as she was Googling so you could see what was- No, she was across the desk, but okay. she found the information, which was just stunning. Really? It took me about three days to screw up the courage to call him, which I did. And that conversation, which is covered in detail in the in the podcast and the memoir. Maybe it, you can do it for us here. Well, okay. So I dialed the number. I had about a whole bottle. You can't just leave us hanging, you know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Heaven forbid. Right. So I had about a, a full bottle of their beautiful red wine from Piemonte to get the courage up. Dialed the number and this male voice answered. And I said, is this, oh, this is all in Italian. So I, you know, yeah. I, I can speak Italian. So I said, is this the home of Nicola Comparetto? And the voice said, si, sono figlio, I'm the son. Yes, oh. So I said, well, is your father at home? And he said, yes. And of course I'm a wreck by this time. He comes on the phone and I said, basically, this is a voice from your past. And I said, my first name, Michelle, And he filled in the last name, Musi, as if he were kissing the name. Oh. It was unbelievable. Then he proceeded to ask me three very poignant questions. Say, ancora bionda, are you still blonde? Si. Say, ancora bella, 
<laughs> and the last one was the corker because I've always been on the zoftic side, a little bit round, uh, you know, curvy. And he said to me, and it's always been an issue with me, by the way. So it's a sensitive subject. He said, Se ancora robusta. Oh. Which was the sweetest word, I tell you, robust. You know, in and other he, words, he said it with affection. Absolutely. Yeah, you oh. got it. So anyway, we had this incredible conversation. And he said, Well, are you coming to Palermo? And I said, mm, Well, not now, not really. But he shared his cell phone and this and that. And again, I didn't see him that time. And then fast forward even further to this last year, or actually this year, when I had finished the book and I had finished, uh, started the podcast, I tried desperately to find him again. But you had a stepping stone to go from this time. Well, I had the cell phone number, which yeah. I tried and it didn't work. So I figured he changed his number. This is 2008 to 2020, uh -huh. I mean, 2020. So, uh, but I, I, you know, I'm a very persistent girl. So I, <laughs> I kept looking and looking. I tried LinkedIn. I did this, I did that. I even found a, a girl in Sicily with the same last name who we corresponded over. And this time you were doing this, you were in Italy again. You were no, doing no, this. I was here at home. You were doing it long distance. Okay. Long distance. So ultimately I found his email. And so we started to have this email conversation. Now it was, and it went on and on. And I was trying to get him to answer certain questions that I still had in my heart. But unfortunately, the email was a family email. Oh my goodness. So his wife and what, whoever else could see the, the correspondence. Right. So we couldn't be all that candid. And it turned out, he did not marry Marika, the little shadow in the back <laughs> of the fiat. Right. He married, of all things, a Polish girl. And they had three extraordinary children, whom he told me all about. So anyway, I did have a conversation with Nicola. And so it, this is a theme in my life, Janet, that I have had many extraordinarily fascinating relationships because I didn't follow the path to marry. I did marry for a short time, but that didn't work. I was going to ask you, uh huh? Yeah, it's, it's not worth going into that story. It's not such a happy one. Um, but thematically, the many of these fascinating men I've had uh, relationships with circle back. They come back. I mean, Bobby, for instance, my high school boyfriend. Uh huh. He's still in my life. He's still. <laughs> He still says he loves me after three I'm sure he does. By the way, I, I have to tell you that I just, when we started out, when we spoke before, I never knew that this would be something so dreamy and adventurous. Oh, and, and that's a great word you've chosen. Oh. My life has been an adventure. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to share it with, with listeners, with readers, because it's, it's, first of all, it's very entertaining, but it's also very inspiring. And there are lessons to be learned. Absolutely. May I ask you a question about, so Bobby is still in your life. What is your friendship with him like? Nice, obviously. Well, well right now it's kind of on a downslide. Oh. I think he's nervous about this book I've written. 
but there, you know, there have been many moments over the years, as recently as, you know, two or three years ago, where he claims to be still in love with me. And of course, that's a little frustrating since we, anyway, it's all in the podcast, but, oh. uh, but, but here again, Nicola, 50 years later, I still have a correspondence with him. Many of the other fascinating men that I have met and been involved with circle back later, which tells me that, you know, I've always been, I'm a very confident woman and I've had a very successful real estate career. And, but in the area of men, women relationships, I'm not as confident, even mm -hmm. though I've had all these experiences. So one of the things that happens in the book and in the, in the stories is I reflect on that. And so it's not just about a series of escapades, sexual escapades. It's about what these various experiences have meant to, meant to me. Okay, so I was, gonna, I was gonna ask you just that because I was wondering in sharing this as you know, this is a very uh, <coughs> generous thing for a woman to do. And as you said, very brave thing for a woman to do. Very I, brave. I agree. There must have been something that you wanted to share for a reason. You want to encourage. You want to let people know something, right? You want to let. Do you want to let women know something, or do you want to let men know something as well? I think both, actually. Uh -huh. And I mean, what would you like them each to know, based on your? Well, one of the things that I want women to know is that you know that we're strong and independent in our own right. That we do not have to live our lives through a man. And that's one of the choices I made as a very young person. And I have acted on that my whole life. So I, I encourage women to be their own true strong selves. The men, it's interesting. I've had many uh, relationships with European men and even some you know, other Latin lovers. And what I found about the difference between men in Europe and the men in America is that the men in Europe somehow are raised to cherish women. Each woman is a blossom. Each woman is a flower to, to behold and to unfold. And it, it, when you're with them, whether you're only with them for four or five hours, you feel like a princess. They could be with somebody else the next day and it doesn't matter because when you're with them, you are a goddess. You think that's you think that's in general rather than the reality is that you are a princess and you were something <laughs> special to each of. No, it's a real question. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see where you would assume that from how they behave towards you. Well, no, it's not just it's not just uh, my okay. personal experience. I think it's it's the cultural a cultural thing. And for instance, I had uh, a, a dear friend in the real estate business, he was the head of a, an escrow company. His name was Luis Fuenzaliva. He was from Chile. And he explained this to me. He said, my father taught me as a young boy that every woman is somebody to be cherished. And I think this is an attitude, you see a cultural attitude that comes down from uh, decades and centuries. Sure. It's not universal, of course. That's not true of every European man or every South American man. But I think it's much more prevalent than it is with American men. What is your experience with American men in life? Well, my experience with American men is different, is that they don't get that lesson. They don't get that perspective. <laughs> what, what do they get? Well, they get, uh, you know, in my milieu, um, 
I always felt that what was more important was uh, a, tro a trophy wife in a sense. In other words, they want somebody that presents well to the business world, to the rest of the world, rather than just a one-on-one -on -one thing. That's an element at least. And uh, it's different. It's just mm -hmm. different. Are you dating now? I wish I could say I was. Oh, if you're open to it, certainly. Yes, and it's one of the reasons I wrote the book was that's the other big reason is to create a vibration of love to attract my soulmate. And this has been my whole life, a journey to find that soulmate. And it hasn't happened yet, but I, I, I believe in it. I believe there is uh, that kind of love. Well, I do too. I mean, I have known women in my life who have found really just a profound, wonderful, heat-filled love. Yes. And one woman I met, she had a beautiful diamond ring. She had very long, narrow hands. And she was actually playing bridge with somebody. I walked by her table, a friend of my <laughs> mother-in-law's and said, and I said, oh my goodness, that ring looks so beautiful on your hand. It was just, the whole thing was gorgeous. And she looked at it and she, and she was in her nineties. Oh, wow. And she said, <laughs> Yes, she said, I've had, I've been so fortunate to have had the love of two wonderful men in my life. And this ring was from a man she met when she was past 80. I mean, have you known women who have had really? I love, well, and that's what, you know, that's my expectation. And, and I also, the, another part of the book, which we haven't had a chance to really explore, is um, the mystical spiritual part. Okay, I go ahead. Yeah, I've had a lot of mystical and fascinating uh, experiences in that realm. And so as the book unfolds, more and more of the spiritual comes into it. I've had, for instance, I've done a lot of past life regression work. Oh, you I know what? I want you to hold that for a minute because we're limited in time. And so I'm wondering, will you come back and do another one with me on that aspect? Absolutely. Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? I mean, I'm sure it is. It's pretty darn fascinating. And one oh. of them has to do with Bobby. Okay. Oh, I'll be back for this. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> my, my question next, I've got so many questions all the time, is where, I mean, I well, you saw that conversation I had with Barbara Rose Brooker on right. women getting older <laughs> and still looking for love and expecting to find it. Exactly. And there are some men older men I know who really want to be with younger women. And I think that's two things. I think partly is it presents well, as you say, but partly I think it makes them feel that if they can still attract a young woman, it says something for their power in youth. Mm -hmm. And I've known a couple of men who have started off that way <coughs> and ended up marrying women close to their own age which I'm sure is in the end more fulfilling for them. Yes, I think so. I think, I think, so. I think that may be a lot for a man to have to keep up with a man who's 80 and has a 25 year old girlfriend. Not that that can't be great for both. I actually knew a couple. Oh my goodness. He was like 95. She was like in her thirties. She, you know, she was the nurse for his wife and then she died and something like <coughs> a neighbor. And they had such a romance. And I will tell you that 
she really adored him. Wow. Adored you know, him. Love, love he was is, pretty adorable. It, well, love is amazing, isn't it? it I mean, yeah. it comes in so many forms. And why limit yourself? That's another thing that I wrote the book Ed for, is why limit yourself? You know, experience all of these forms of love. There's so many of them. So do you ever go on these dating sites? I know Barbara Rose Brooker has done that. You know, that's an incredibly interesting question. So in one of the episodes that I just recorded, because I've, I've released the first 10 episodes and now we're doing another 21 episodes, which finishes the, the book. I, years ago, the only thing you could do was put a classified ad in the newspaper. Right. So, so I did this really... Per, as a marketing expert in real estate, I did this very provocative ad. It started off bedroom eyes. And I wrote this ad and I put it in the Bay Guardian and the Palo Alto Weekly. I had 189 responses. Well, what was your, what was the, what were your key words? Well, it was, it was like, uh, you know, voluptuous five foot four dynamic woman looking for white male 35 to 50 to, you know, to appreciate my, our assets. I mean, it was just very clever. And, okay. and actually, clever, but, it was, but you portrayed yourself as you really are. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Well, not and, everybody does that. I understand. Uh, that's true. I was trying to be honest. Good. And that ad, the picture of that ad is actually posted on my Facebook page called Love Capays. So if people want to see the whole ad, they can go to that. I'm going to be there. Okay. So anyway, I had the 189 responses and I, it was like a sack, a, you know, a, a Santa Claus, Santa Claus size sack of, of letters. <laughs> I had my girlfriends over. We sat on. Oh, so they, they responded with actual letters. That was their only choice. This was way before. Right. Okay. I understand. Yes. I yeah. see. So I had the sack of letters that I got from the newspaper, forwarded from the newspaper. And I invited my gal pals over. We sat in a circle on the lawn in my backyard on beach towels and we read the letters out loud. And it was hysterical. I mean, I formerly I was a high school English teacher. So before I became a realtor. So we, I graded them A, B, C, D, and F. And I picked the top five letters, Janet. And I had coffee dates with these guys. They were all total duds. Oh, they had they had fibbed or they had exaggerated. Anyway, it was, that's what I would say. People don't present themselves so honestly. Don't. Oh. So here I I had this experience of dud. You know, all of these responses, and they were all duds. So I never have been willing to go on a dating a dating sure. However, yesterday. When I, yes. Yesterday, when I recorded, <laughs> I recorded the last episode, it, it described this whole experience with the letters. And for the first time in like 40 years, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I should try it. You should. Because in the pandemic, I wouldn't have to meet them right away. I could just oh, have a correspondence. Yes. And I maybe in the correspondence, there would be something there. And also, I guess, you know, you can see each other over Zoom or FaceTime. You can actually see somebody. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I hope you do it. I want to thank you for doing this with me. Well, it's just been a delight. I, it has been a delight for me. It's somehow different than I expect. Well, I didn't, I don't ever go into it with really expectations, but just wonderful. 
Well, uh, you know, it's just been great fun. And I'm in the mode, of course, of, of trying to get my, my podcast out there. So um, I, can I just remind people where to go? Yes, of course, please do. All right. So again, it's called Love Capades, and that's a word I made up. L-O-V-E, capital C-A-P-A-D-E-S. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you go for podcasts. You just put in Love Capades. And the first 10 if episodes- you put in Love Capades in the Google search, you'll get it. Yeah. And then you subscribe, of course. And you can also find my website, which is called Love Capades, and my Facebook page. Okay. And I'm just, I'm just thrilled to be your guest. And I admire you so much. I'm thrilled, I'm thrilled to be meeting you and hearing all this. You know, I think that, um, oh gosh, it's such a, it's such a, I've wondered about this, of course. It's such a weird time to want to be meeting people and dating and getting to know people because you can only, and who knows for how long you can only go so far. Right, right. Well, well it's, we'll see. But I haven't given up because my, my core philosophy is this. If you have a desire for something, and you truly believe it, then you place the order with the universe and the universe has to deliver uh, the goods. I like that. And, and the universe has got far more resources than we as individuals. Yes, that's true. A, a much bigger Rolodex. Exactly. Yes. So anyway, that's the way I look at it. And right now, I, I still believe that my soulmate is going to be there before I leave this earth plane in this incarnation. I do too. And I, I just want to say that um, no reason why not. I mean, you're smart, you're adorable, and you're beautiful. And <laughs> somebody will come to you. Well, I, I think so. It's about time, don't you think? Yes. Yes. Thank you, dear. This has just been enlightening to say the least. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you again, and we're going to talk about the spiritual side of things. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Right. Have a great Christmas. Well, <laughs> take bye. care i'll talk to you soon hey okay, bye-bye hey bye everybody